All right, Poor Man's Lore, Episode 6. Today we're doing the third and fourth installment of the March of the Machine stories. Uh, I'm thinking there will probably be more emphasis on Episode 3, as I care a whole lot more about what happened in Episode 3. But essentially we have one more, uh, you know, fleshed out story. Basically, Episode 3 follows right where it left off. It's Tamiyo going to Kamigawa to do Elish Norn's bidding. And then episode four, we are, we get three little, I would call them slices of life, but you know, in, in, in a war, uh, we go from Kaldheim to Kaladesh to Capenna. So starting off with episode three, I really liked the framing device that they used for episode three. Uh, talking about Tamio, some of the top of you know top of my mind things when we're going back there is Tamio has family on Kamigawa. Uh, you know if they decide to do anything decisive with Tamio's character, which hint hint they do. Uh, we need to know a couple of things before they can do that. You know narratively, we need to know what the other two Ironbound Scrolls are. We do find that out in this story, so I guess enough, you know, beating around the bush. Let's just kind of get into it. The framing device is essentially Tamiyo's Ironbound Scroll. It starts, there was a story. Many eons ago, there was a great wizard by the name of Urza, so wise that all the mages of the multiverse flocked to him for advice, so powerful that he... Uh, So powerful was he that only his brother Mishra stood as a potential rival, but Mishra hated him bitterly. And soon a war began, right? So essentially it's the story of Urza. Now, I think it would be fair to assume that what was in the Ironbound Scroll initially was the story of Urza. Uh, But it's possible because, I mean, you can't really tell the story of Nufraxia without the story of Urza, right? It goes Urza, the creation of Karn. Karn creates Argentum, uh, which is the artificial plane that... I guess I should, you know, rewind a little bit for those that might not know. Uh, Urza creates an autonomous uh, golem named Karn. Makes him out of silver because he realizes that silver can time travel in, I believe that's the novel, Time Streams, I think. Uh, But anyway, he makes Karn, you know, Karn then kind of is Urza's son. Urza does treat him like shit. And uh, it's it's a fun little generational trauma uh, story <laughs> of Karn then feeling the need to create. He creates an artificial plane called Argentum, which then becomes Mirrodin, which then becomes Nuphorexia. And uh, it's also, you know, Karn's child Memnarch, which he made to rule over Argentum. But anyways, I'm getting a little off topic. Basically... Tamiyo is floating above Tawashi, one of the main cities of Kamigawa. And we're seeing the Phyrexian invasion unfold. And at the center of it all is Tamiyo sliding an iron ring off of her scroll, something she vowed when she was, you know, actual Tamiyo, she would never do. Basically, these ironbound scrolls, she promised she would never use them because they are such powerful story magic. One of them we know was the collapse of Sarah's realm. Now we know what that one was because in the story for Shadows over Innistrad, or I guess perhaps Eldritch Moon, we see Tamiyo 
using, well, you know, against her will, really, it's really Emmercool using Tamiyo's magic to seal herself in the moon, to seal Emmercool in the moon. So we know that one of the Ironbound Scrolls is the Collapse of Sarah's Realm. The other one that we're learning about right now is, I think it's possible that it's been, you know, edited in the time since her completion to reflect, you know, oh, the glory of New Phyrexia. But really, Urza does flow right into the glory of New Phyrexia. So it's still talking about Urza, and it's then talking about Karn, and then Memnarch. And then from there, we leave Tamiyo's narrative, and we see Kaya show up. And talking a little bit about how Kaya was supposed to go to Ravnica with Vraska, uh, you know, to mount the defense there while Jace figured out everything else, and obviously that's not happening. Kaya's in pretty bad shape. She's dealing with a lot of trauma of New Phyrexia going there, surviving some survivor's guilt, I think. Uh, but she just does the best that she can. She does the next right thing, which in this case she is. She saves a little boy who's in a collapsed building as Phyrexia is invading. She saves him, and uh, you know, I guess they're. She gets him out of the rubble. They're gonna jump off a roof, and then uh, Kaido shows up and kind of saves Kaya last minute, but. Then, you know, now we have Kaya and Kaito in Tawashi as Tamio is ripping it apart. I know one of the first things uh, she does, I don't know if I, I did not mention this yet, one of the first things she does is uh, tear apart Paseju, which releases all these spirits. It's, it's kind of like on each of these planes as we're seeing the invasion, we're seeing like a central target. I guess. Uh, in Kamigawa, it is Baseju. The, it, it, you know, it's, it's symbolic in a way, but it also does seem to hold a good amount of power. On Kaladesh, it's the Aetherflux Reservoir. On uh, Capenna, it's the museum we see eventually, um, and also, you know, the source of Halo, and I guess it's, it's more nuanced in Capenna, but, I mean, Capenna itself is a pretty small city. Uh, well, New Capenna is a small place on, a, on the plane of Capenna. But, uh, oh, there was the other one, uh, Kaldheim, I guess the world tree, uh, makes a good amount of sense, but anyway, I'm kind of all over the place right now. We see Kaya and Kaito, uh, look, I think they see Tamio at this point. No, maybe not, uh, but I don't know, either way, Tamio continues, uh, telling this story, and at this point is when Nashi shows up. Now, Nashi is Tamio's adopted son. He was orphaned when his village was burnt down, and Tamio adopted him. Now, you might ask, who burnt his village down? Uh, it was Tezzeret. He's being a real dick. So that, uh, I, I, I do like Nashi. I really, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Tamio. Um, I was pretty upset when they decided to complete Tamio. And I was hoping, I was pretty convinced myself that it was going to be like, you know, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like Frexy and Tamio got really into like, mo you know, body mods on like cyberpunk Kamigawa. I think there's a fit there. 
maybe, you know, this all gets undone. And I will elaborate a bit. Maybe this does all get undone, but I, I would not be a huge fan of that narratively. So anyway, uh, Nashi, it, it, it's pretty clear to Kaito and Kaya that, yeah, uh, what needs to go down right now is we need to kill Tamio. That's, that's what needs to happen. But then once Nashi shows up, it's, you know, it's complicated because that's his mom, you know, uh, like any son, he, he says, Hey, like maybe I can talk to her. And I think Kaido, who he's saying this to, I think Kaido knows, like, that's not going to actually do anything. I think certainly he knows because he's seen what new Phyrexia is like, what completion is like. He knows Tamio is not herself anymore, but he says, all right, uh, you know, we can try that basically. I think the subtext there is we can try that before I kill your mom. Uh, he goes up and she starts in on, oh, Nashi, you know, I want you to join me and basically, you know, extolling the glory of New Phyrexia. And then, you know, Kaito, I will say I do like Kaito and I, well, I won't, I, I mean, I do like Kaito and I do like the Wanderer. The Wanderer shows up because it's kind of what she does. But I, I feel like, you know, are they kind of just killing off Tamio to make way for the new Kamigawa Planeswalkers? Maybe. I don't like that, you know? Like, a lot of the folks that got completed, like, I've been a fan of Jace just because I liked playing Blue Magic since, like, 2014, which, that's almost 10 years ago now. Holy shit, I'm old. But... I don't, I don't agree with just, you know, oh, let's just kill him off because stakes, you know, I, I guess, you know, they did a good job with the Phyrexia All Will Be One story in raising the stakes, and I don't know, we'll, we'll see how this all shakes out with Jace and Vraska, because we don't actually know where they are currently, uh, I have a feeling Ravnica, I mean, it would make sense for Vraska to go to Ravnica, I don't know where Jace is going, I don't think Vryn is a huge target, maybe, but again, we've never really been there, so, sorry, I'm off trap, uh, off topic again, off track, uh, yeah, Kaido steps in front of Nashi, and starts fighting Tamio, and then, uh, I believe it's right here that the Wanderer shows up, is that correct, yeah, this is where the Wanderer shows up, and Kyodai shows up with the Wanderer, and the Wanderer does what the Wanderer does, runs down Tamio with a samurai sword, uh, and we basically, we see Tamio die. It's sad. I was getting a little choked up reading it yesterday, because I really like Tamio. Tamio is my favorite planeswalker, right? You know, she's like, into history and lore and story and the power that a good story has. I love that shit. And now she's dead, so that kind of sucks. But then, I mean, I guess you can call it a silver lining. I guess. But we see Tamio die, and then, really heartbreakingly, I, I gotta just read this part because, holy shit. Ouch. Uh... Nashi says, uh, that wasn't her, Nashi repeats. That wasn't, why was she like, 
Why didn't she? It's just fucking awful. Like, this kid just watched his fucking mom die. And then the emperor says, your mother will live on in memory and the stories you tell of her. But then we hear in, you know, not a Phyrexian voice, in a regular, kind, Tamiyo voice, Nashi, I'm sorry. And we look up. Now, what happened as the Wanderer showed up? This is, I I love the writing here. Uh, K. Arsenal Rivera is incredibly, incredibly talented. Uh, Yesterday we saw, well, not yesterday, episode one, before Tamio goes out, we see that moment of hesitation and she clutches an ironbound scroll in that moment. And then here we see, as the Wanderer is about to strike, she clutches an ironbound scroll. At this point, we know what's in two of them. We know one is the story of Urza slash Nuphorexia, and in the other, we know is the uh, collapse of Sarah's realm. And the third one is Tamio's story. What Tamio does is she kind of creates a backup of all of the journeys she's been on, all of the knowledge, which genuinely, if we lost the knowledge that Tamio has in the multiverse, that's a huge loss. Just like for the multiverse, but she backs it all up, and we see, like, a being of, like, pure light characters, like, you know, clearly, like, the, like, writing, the text on Kamigawa, that language, like, that kind of characters, um, in the shape of Tamiyo. So, you know, I guess that's something they ask Tamiyo, you know, what are you? Not a ghost, Kaya says, because Kaya can interface with ghosts. And uh, I believe we have an explanation in here somewhere. Uh, she says, were you watching closely before I struck... Oh, the Wanderer says, were you watching closely before I struck Tamio mouth something? Uh, and Kaido says, I thought that she was... Or maybe it's Kaya says, I thought you were preparing a curse. And the Wanderer says, she wasn't. All the shards she threw at me were way too wide to do any damage, didn't you notice? She sets a hand on one of Kyodai's many masks, and the Kami touches her head in turn, or touches hers in turn. Uh, a hard-won moment of tenderness on the battlefield like this. Tamio is making a request the only way she could. So, you know, we we get a fun, a fun little, Tamio's dead, but not actually... I'm really hoping we can get some kind of a restoration of Tamio. I it feels less cool to get a legendary creature, but I do think in this set the way this is probably portrayed if at all cuz it is a huge set. I know they can't put everything in it. It would be really cool to get a saga that's like the story of Tamio that flips into a creature. If you could make it legendary in a way that I can play it as a commander, hugely appreciate that. If not, you know, I might just rule zero it as a commander anyway. Uh, But then the story ends, and I should mention, in episode two, we see Chandra, we see Ren getting ready to head out to New Phyrexia. In the end of that, there is a little passage about there were, like, mysterious watchers, and one of them says to the other, like, is it time yet? And the other says, no, it is not time yet. We have to wait until the end. And I've seen a lot of people kind of being like, oh shit, who is that? And 
I think it's pretty obvious that it's Teferi and Elspeth and maybe the Wanderer, but it kind of reminds me of like Harry Potter 3 where they're like following themselves from the past, like seeing when the right time to intervene is and like I like that style of time travel, like the what 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 all, what always was has been and will continue to be, you know, like uh everything's predetermined. I like that. Then at the end of this story, we get there's there is a story which this is the, you know, framing device. Once upon a time, there was a great evil, one that threatened to swallow the planes of the multiverse whole, unfeeling and uncaring. It infected the hearts of those it encountered. There was someone who fought against it, a protector in white. Obviously, that's Elspeth, okay? Obviously, that's fucking Elspeth. We don't have to waffle on that one too much. I'll I'll talk more about this at the end of... I, th- I think there's another... Yeah, there is another little, like, The Watchers uh, at the end of this one. But, I mean, basically, just to recap, I I feel like episode four, kind of like similarly to episode two, it's less about action, more about character development. Uh, One of the things that the last couple stories have done, uh, it's made me really appreciate Tyvar Kell, a character I cared little to not at all about. But he's just so, like, he's so delightful in every circumstance where, like, he stares into certain death and is like, all right, let's go, fuck it, let's, you know, let's rumble, let's battle. He's like a huge himbo, and I fucking love him. But anyway, we we see that Tyvar goes back to Kaldheim, he joins up with the elves, he starts telling them what Phyrexians are. We get a cool moment where... Uh, him and his brother Harald, the king of the elves, uh, you know, they have the, the fun moment of like, ah, yes, people we fight against all the time. We're going to hate each other tomorrow, but we got to fight together so that there is a tomorrow so that we can hate each other again. And that was, you know, cute. I will say the, like, the style is so different with each of these worlds. Um, Kay has a real way of you know, differentiating, which is really great in, like, a multiversal setting like this, where the fighting is, the fighting is the setting, right? Like, you, you're getting a lot of descriptors about Phyrexia, what it looks like, how it behaves on certain planes, but, like, that's the constant, you know? It's less the setting. Usually, you know, we pick a plane and we stick to it, and that's our story. But in this case, it's the fighting that's really the setting. And the planes themselves are almost like characters in this sense. And I think that's really neat. Uh, but we we continue on call time. We see basically, you know, all of the various factions getting together and uniting to fight against Phyrexia. Good shit. Uh, we see... Some doom scars open up, and that's kind of how they all join each other on the Omen Keeper, uh, Omen Path, I guess, ships. And then we see what looks like a completed coma. We see some art that, to me, looks like a completed uh, Toski and a completed Seralf. So maybe that's kind of the central attacking point, is like the cosmos between the couple different realms of Kaldheim, but... Anyway, that's pretty much all we get. I feel like we're probably going to come back to this story, but even if we don't, it 
is okay. We don't really have to. And I think that is another kind of interesting thing about this story. So this story, you know, it gives us three different little slices of life during a war on three different planes, but even though none of them, like, have a complete beginning, middle, and end, like a traditional story might, it doesn't feel disjointed, because that fighting is the through line, and frankly, if we never come back to any of these planes for more than, you know, a couple sentences, or even just someone popping up in another plane saying, oh, it was dealt with, I'm not too bothered by it. I think they're doing a really good job telling kind of an impossible story of a simultaneous invasion happening everywhere, you know, all together. All right, look, it's an everything, everywhere, all at once situation, which I fucking love that movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. You know, it, it, it is it is kind of like this, right? If you like magic storytelling, you'll probably like that because you're a fan of multiversal storytelling. So anyway, uh, then we get Pia, Pia Nalar's perspective. That's Chandra's mom, right? And also uh, activist... Uh, revolutionary in her own right, very cool character. I had not read a whole lot of the Kaladesh story. The only one that I did read was the one that re- really made me uh, appreciate Tamio. In it's that one that like cuts back and forth to the story circle with Tamio, Ajani, and Elspeth, and then they mention Narset's been there. So that one hurts because all of those except for Narset. So help me God, if you do anything to Narset, I'll fucking riot. But. Uh, anyway, I really liked those couple Planeswalkers. I liked that alignment of the story circle, kind of having a a storytelling club of the multiverse. I thought that was really cool. But anyway, that that's about all of Kaladesh that I got. Uh, but basically, I mean, again, I think th- this story is kind of a, you have to read it. Uh, it's the characterization that these worlds and these characters receive that is novel about it. It's not so much hitting broader plot points it's just showing you what the war looks like in a really cool way. So we kind of see, uh, we see Pia and Alar getting warned by Sahili that this invasion is coming. Uh, Chandra's, you know, fine, but the invasion is coming. You need to prepare. She does. She gets the government of Kaladesh to actually, you know, spring into action and do something. And then the invasion happens and they're, somewhat prepared, I guess as prepared as you could be. Uh, she is then running, I forget where she's running to, I think a rendezvous with Sahili, but we get to see this sick-ass thing where Sahili has made Dinobots, so expect a Dinobot card, right? This coming off the heels of a confirmation that Sahili and Watley are together in a romantic way, which is awesome because it gives us dinosaur robots. And also, yay, representation. We love that. So, Going from there, we see more of Pia just kind of running and surviving and that working. Uh, we get a picture in the middle of this that is the Aetherflux Reservoir being assaulted by Phyrexia. I mean, there's a lot of energy in that. How many games have you lost to Aetherflux Reservoir? we all been there. But they, uh, I, I think the, the art for this is actually probably from uh, the battle card that's going to be the invasion of uh, Kaladesh. So from there, we see we see Pia get into a like a cool car with Sahili, and then they're driving, and she sees some other guy. What is this guy's name? Um, 
got to be right here. Baji, who I, Baji, I have never heard of him. I googled him, couldn't find much info. Maybe a new character, who knows. Uh, we see her getting a, some kind of flying device with him, and then he gets fucking shot by a Phyrexian bird with a quill, and then she's trying to fly the thing, it careens towards the ground, and, uh, yeah, I think that's basically where that one leaves off, right? It's just a little shot of action, a little little action sequence there in the middle of things. I like it. This next one's really cool. We see Atraxa going to New Capenna, and we see kind of how the hive mind of New Phyrexia works, which I was a fan of in a way I was not expecting, because, like, fuck New Phyrexia, but this was, this was kind of cool. We see people getting completed in Capenna and how their memories are instantly a part of Atraxa, and Atraxa then is looking for information, where's the heart of, you know, the halo, and she goes to a museum. And she starts kind of freaking out, because what is the one thing that she lacks? Red mana, right? Red mana, which typically we think of as meaning, you know, impulsivity, uh, you know, act first, think later, but it's also the color of love, of passion, of emotion of art and she's having a really hard time dealing with art being like oh my god why uh why is that statue just one single person rather than a you know a glorious army of a bunch of people why individualism why not collectivism ah and it's a really cool moment uh you know we see fascists running up against art which is their biggest fear and it's fucking awesome and and the thing that she's really hung up on is this shit is beautiful like, the memories of people seeing the art is, they think, beautiful. I don't, I don't, I'm not used to feeling like an individual thing is beautiful. So, I don't know, maybe this is part of her angel past, because Atraxa, right, was a Mirren angel that then got converted by all four, uh, you know, active praetors, everyone but Urabrask, into a Phyrexianized angel, Elishnorn's right-hand lieutenant. Uh, so we, we see her just kind of smashing through the museum, destroying everything, and then that's about it. We just kind of see she does that, and then she goes back out uh, to the museum, and then the little bit about Watchers at the end, uh, it says, you know, uh, Atraxa leaves the platform, but the Saris remain watching her go with their visitor hovering among them in a haze of color. Uh, they too speak among themselves. Why not stop her? Asks the visitor. It is not time yet. It does not feel like the right answer, but the visitor cannot disapprove it or disprove it. Have faith. It's almost here. The end. You'll know what to do when we've gotten there. I'm sure that's Elspeth being an angel because that's basically everyone's assumption is Elspeth is going to become Angel Planeswalker. So that's pretty much the stories right there. Keeping this one pretty short, hoping to be back on Monday and posting a new episode on Monday. Uh, if you liked it, please subscribe. Uh, I'm trying to actively put this out there a little bit more. It seems to be going decently well, so if you're new, welcome. Thank you so much for watching, well, for listening. Uh, if you could, you know, rate the podcast, follow it on Spotify, do whatever you do on Apple Podcasts. I'm going to be launching a Patreon soon if you want to chip in. A couple bucks, it would mean a lot. Thank you so much for listening to Poor Man's Lore. Have a good one. See you Monday.